You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 13. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum or something like that. This is episode number 13. I'm Will, and with me today is your captain, who won't stop clicking her teeth like Iceman. <laughs> it's Rebecca! I was going to say, pew! No, you can't prepare ahead of time. I might ask you to click your teeth or something. <laughs> I know. I forgot how we did it. He does it in the locker room, right? Yeah, I... When you want he to just kind of goes like, ah. it's like it's real sexy. Well, when you try it, I think your instinct is to click the front of your teeth, which is very painful. But I think he just clacks like the sides, like you're biting. Like, okay, I think if you don't have an overbite, <laughs> I or guess that's a certain true. Kind of, I don't know. I don't know about Val Kilmer and his orthodontic history. Besides orthodontics, uh, what's what's in the wind? What's any the- any recent travel plans on your part that I wasn't aware of? That's a very fanciful way of asking something. It's like, what's on the wind? It's very beautiful. I really like that. Um, I miss traveling. I do. I really, really do. I would love to go anywhere, but I'm not going to do it in a subpar way. So first of all, I'm not getting on a plane right now because people are yeah. terrible, even when COVID is not happening, running running wild like Hulkamania in the United States of America. I do not normally like how people behave, you know, but I tolerate it. But no, we're not, we're not yeah, going anywhere. I don't like how everybody has to feel like a prince or princess when they go flying. Like if like if you have the credit card, then you have to go. You get to be in the little club, or you get to line <laughs> up early. Father says I get to ride for my sky miles. That's right. Like yeah. all, all dauphins are boarding now. <laughs> yes, Father says I get premium boarding. <laughs> okay, okay, can I tell you one thing? I just cannot stand about flights. Yes, that I can't stand. Does but, not, yeah, let's let's complain about what we don't like about traveling because we start, can't travel right yeah. now. So you're just like I don't even want to do that. Yeah. It's, we'll st- lie, it's good to start by complaining. That sets a good tone. I like it. It's, it's we hadn't mood. eaten yet, so it'll be good. We'll be good and ornery. It's time for lunch. One thing that drives me crazy is no matter how short the flight is, we have to have the little service cart come by. Like It can be a 40-minute trip from like Atlanta to Charlottesville, and they'll be like, when's my orange juice coming by? <laughs> yeah, I do hate that. Um, it's like, just don't drink. Just hold Just hold it. Don't drink. You just don't sit need to drink. like a grown-up <laughs> it's for 40, 40 minutes. minutes. It's 40 minutes. Be an you adult. Don't need it. You don't need the drink service. They I need, need my juicy box. There is a flight that I have taken often, several times, because it goes from us like to Chicago, whatever. It's not. I'm not trying to be secretive. It's just I don't know. But it goes between us and O'Hare in Chicago, and it's uh-huh. about a 40 minute flight. And there's you always like wonder if they're gonna bother trying to do the drink service because there's some of the flight attendants who do, <laughs> but then some of them just try to get away with not having to because you can tell they're annoyed too. Like yeah. they don't want to wheel that thing, and like somebody's asking for coffee because they're like, "This is a commuter flight. I need airline coffee yeah. at six o'clock in the morning." Like, no, you don't. No, you don't need that. And then the 
and then the attendant has to like open the can for them like it's their mom and they're at like the little island with their little legs swinging in the uh, chairs. It's like just be a grown up. Just wait till you get there. Get something when you get off. Yeah, this plane is not big enough for you to be acting like that. <laughs> Okay, and then my airline thing that I hate is I hate when people tweet at airlines, to, uh-huh. to, especially when it's not something that the person doing the airline social media can really handle. Like, we're not talking about a one in a con, like a catastrophic or interesting situation that everyone needs to be apprised about. It's just like, way to go at Delta and lost my luggage again. Like, why? Why mm-hmm. did you do that? If you tweet at airlines, I'm sorry, but we can't be friends. Or at least we have to have a little talk about why you're tweeting at airlines. What, what is that going to accomplish? Like that guy whose guitar that he saw them destroying and he had the video. That's a good, valid thing to share, I think. Yeah, but again, but it has to be extraordinary. Uh-huh. And it has to be interesting and meaningful. I'm sorry, but like losing your luggage, it happens, okay? Flight is miraculous. <laughs> we get in a box in the sky uh-huh. and we arrive safely at our destination more often than any human being actually like I can't even believe how safe commercial flight is. And our first advertiser is the <laughs> uh, is the air lobby. Way to go at American Airlines. You suck. I just, I hate it. I hate it. I I desperately want to travel though. I miss it. <laughs> Well, what are we talking about today? Why are we here? <laughs> on today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the pilot archetype. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight. We, I feel like we both worked pretty hard on this one. I don't know if it's uh, tacky or not to say which ones were easy and which ones were hard. Oh, but, it's fine. But sometimes if it's a hard one, um, it ends up being really interesting, I think. I was pretty happy with, with some of the now, picks I on this one. Now, I did learn a thing or two, I gotta say. Did you learn how to fly? <laughs> yes. So, uh, for our purposes, though, how do we want to define a pilot? Well... Since the time of Icarus, man has looked to conquer oh, the sky. Oh, my Lord. I'm no, just kidding. Um, I just wanted to do that intro. Um, in the realm of fiction, I'm saying it's someone who commands a flying vehicle. So I'm saying, like, no real people, unless uh, okay, you can make uh-huh. an argument as to why they are, like, a pop culture uh-huh. phenomenon. Like, I would say if you picked, like, Sully, uh-huh. okay, fine. But fiction, mm-hmm. and then this is a similar... Uh, caveat as to what we did with vehicles. I say, if you're flying a dragon, you're not a pilot. That's a sentient being. So, oh, know, so it's gotta be, okay. it's, oh, did you, you're like, no, I hadn't thought about that, but oh, I, okay. I wanted that option available to me nonetheless. Okay. I don't know. And then I would argue that they have to be skilled, but uh-huh. the skill cannot be magic. Okay. I like that. Okay. Huh. I'm thinking about that. You know what? But we didn't talk about it, but I was going to say no mech pilots. I think that's something different too. If for no other reason than, I think that also is a different kind of story and represents something different. Those That's are true. very spe- very different kinds of stories. Yeah, and I guess like a mech is more of like an extension of you. Yeah. It's more of a symbiotic relationship <laughs> than a man and his plane, even though we'll get into... Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, we'll actually get into how that's a thing later. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. What I was saying, the main thing that explains our romanticization with pilots is like the World War One ace pilot yeah, type thing. Yeah, that, is, is that, that, is right? where, that definitely seems to be where the fascination comes from because that was like the first, I guess, global scale use of pilots where you got to see people 
showing off what is essentially a new skill at this point. Yeah, so these are like the single-seater biplane things like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade type thing. Yeah. Um, and I guess you could argue that like, I don't know, Roman chariot races were like similar, but I don't think so. Like, I do think like pilots were a new thing and that kind of was when it started. I was, I was reading that, you know, all, although like our fascination with pilots is real and lasting it was also manufactured like all the countries it was weird all the countries involved in world war one uh really uh drummed up uh morale by um playing up the pilot mystique for like the homestead it was a real actual deliberate propaganda effort and so it started showing up in pulp magazines and comics and movies and like everybody described them as knights in the sky. Interesting. And it's really, it's really weird. The Smithsonian had a, a exhibit about it where they had like an example of like a little boy's room at the time with the model airplanes and everything. And it was, it was a thing we wanted. It was, it was for, for morale. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. I didn't really think about that, but that does make a lot of sense. I didn't think about it either. Um, and it's kind of weird because our most popular example is probably like the Red Baron. Yeah. And and, Snoo- and Snoopy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that is interesting, too, because when I was looking for my picks for this, I just kept seeing how that ace pilot trope is just <laughs> used to death, which is not to say that it doesn't appear multiple times on the calendar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm just like, God, everybody's just really into, like, the ace. Like, <laughs> he's master of the skies. Pew, pew, we pew. Keep ta- we keep talking about whatever. these characters that we glom onto that are uh, free of influence and super independent. And so there's definitely a strain of that here. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you can't govern somebody once they're in the sky and they have that special skill set, you know. Uh, that will remember that for later because that will definitely come up in my, in my <laughs> list. So we, we mentioned, uh, you know, Red Baron and like... Uh, World War One and, and that sort of thing. But then I guess also they sort of got a, a pilot's got a shot in the arm with the 80s Cold War stuff and Top Gun type stuff, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Top Gun is going to come up later. Uh, well, I, okay, that's probably for the best. <laughs> All right, test case. Okay. Is Luke Skywalker a good pilot? Um. Or Anakin? You know what? I am going to say... Yes, because he had to demonstrate skill to focus to be able to make those good shots. You it's know not what? that's so- a really that's an interesting because even if you are by predisposition uh, very gifted in the force, you still have to be skilled to marshal it and focus it. Like even when he's trying to raise the X wing in the swamps, he can't do it because he doesn't have the skill that Yoda does. So I say he is a good pilot whether it's for natural talents or skill, but I think it's a combination. Okay. That's that's a very diplomatic and good answer. I do think that the uh, Star Wars franchise has not done a great job of showing the Jedi needing to access the focus. Because <laughs> the as the franchise went on, it's just kind of like... Like and then, and then there was a new Jedi, was the most powerful of all of them, with the powers of all of them, mm-hmm. and like it just got to be a little ridiculous. But this is coming from a, a couple of people who are not super huge Star Wars fans. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is a Trek household. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, but that is but, a... but you're right. But you're right about Luke, though. That's what I would say. You could say that for Luke, but maybe you wouldn't say that for Anakin because Anakin, it's all like whoa. Yeah. I'm great at pod racing, even though Saboba was the guy who 
sabotage my pod racer. I don't remember that movie. Sorry. I was going to say, I think Luke practiced flying as a discipline. Because uh, even on Tatooine, you know, he would practice shooting womp rats in the canyons. Okay. So he is a legit pilot. But I think Anakin just, you know, kind of knows the controls and then has some natural feel for it because of the force. But is not a skilled, practiced pilot. Okay. We sorted that out. Okay. Do you want to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. Well, at number eight, I remind you all that Wonder Woman is a skilled pilot. <laughs> Particularly if it's Linda Carter in the live-action Wonder Woman series and she's flying her invisible jet. Uh, that's 1975. I didn't realize she did that. She did a bit, but mostly you see it in Super Friends, in the uh-huh. animated, in like, so that's 73 to... 85, and then later in the Justice League cartoon. The controls of her thought-powered transparent plane. Wonder Woman commands the motor to switch on, and the plane begins to taxi toward the hangar door. And the thought-powered plane rises into the air. So I actually had to do a little bit of research about this. There are an astounding number of articles that go into great detail about the canonical history of Wonder Woman's plane. Oh. So, woof. But I think I can make the argument that Wonder Woman is a skilled pilot before she got the skill to learn how to fly. Well, before I can even hear anything, if it's okay, I need you to explain to me what the invisible plane will look like in each of these, like in the in the cartoon in the early Super Friends cartoon, I'm imagining like dotted lines. It was sort of dotted lines. Okay. And it sort of sort of looked like you could they would illustrate they'd animate the wind shearing around it okay. a little bit, but then like you could still sort of see her in it. In the Justice League cartoon, they actually did it pretty in a sophisticated way because from like what would be an exterior shot, uh-huh. it would be fully invisible. So you'd see like enemies smacking into it in oh, cool. the air. But then from in the cockpit, you just see them all normally. And so they were actually pretty sophisticated. Oh, that's about fun. I remember it. in the New Frontier movie, uh, they had a really cool scene when her uh, invisible jet crash lands and there's like all of a sudden just like, uh, a little bit of like blood out of nowhere for, you know, like a bad landing. You yeah. know? And then it was really, really just felt like, oh, yeah, it's like a whole plane with weight and everything. Yeah. That, um, How do they do it with the Linda Carter one? <laughs> well, <I> can... okay. <laughs> now, perhaps that one I'm only mentioning out of fondness. Did she just like sit on a chair and they okay, just put a sheet over it? Sort they... of, yes. They had like a clear <laughs> capsule that they kind of put over her a yeah. little bit. And as you would not be surprised to know, they did not have a lot of budget to film mm-hmm. dog fights <laughs> midair. They had like men on tricycles coming up near her. <laughs> so, and- so she really actually didn't. She really didn't. Maybe she did, but I don't think she really got to do any fighting in her invisible jet uh-huh. in the Wonder Woman action series from 75, which ran for about three years. Um, I have to mention that one, though, because that was, of course, my introduction to Wonder Woman. Uh-huh. And the funny thing about that series, oh, okay, that also when they showed like it flying in the distance, it was a Barbie doll in a clear plastic <laughs> small airplane, oh, and they just showed. They really did. There's not that much like I, I didn't, wonder if it was like a Mego doll. I have to look that up. That's great. Yeah. So anyway, it it did not look great, but. I have a fondness in my heart for it because um, because the budget of that was so comparatively low, that's why they made it so cheesy, right? Because uh-huh. like she was stripped of a lot of her powers yeah. for the show because they they can't 
film that. They yeah. can't film her bl- flying. Spider-Man was awkward for the same reasons. Yeah. But I mean, like, they, you know, they had her be Diana Prince, like a real kind of, like, a, more of a realistic version. And of course, uh-huh. it was, like, very, like, glamorous and swimsuit and romance and stuff like yeah. that, which people frowned upon. But I want you to consider the good part of that, which is when you're, like, three, four years old and watching these in syndication, as I was, like... You think that Wonder Woman is just like a lady you can be. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. It's more attainable. Yeah. Because she just jumps pretty good. I could work on that. Yeah, exactly. She's just a businesswoman with an outfit. And yeah, and she's just like, yeah, she's she's pretty cool. I've got a rope. I've got a jump rope. Exactly. So it's just like there was no sense that it was unattainable, which I kind of appreciate. Uh huh. And it's also funny. Like, I know that that's a thing with children because Will's little niece, um, has been has asked questions to the effect of like, is someone a fictional character or are they from real yeah. life? And she asked that like, is Jojo Siwa from real life? Uh-huh. You know, like she doesn't complicated know. complicated question. I know. It's like well, but like yeah, I thought Wonder Woman was just like some lady. Like she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like okay, but anyway, no, they didn't really do a great job with the plane on the live action series. But um, just a little bit of the clips that I watched from the Justice League cartoon, I think there's a really good argument for saying that Wonder Woman is a skilled pilot because mm-hmm. she did a lot of fighter jet stuff. And even in the Super Friends, she's got like um, gadgets and weapons that she deploys out of her plane. You know, they use it to solve problems. She has to have skill to, to pilot it and everything. I still marvel at your transparent plane, Wonder Woman. A robot plane that you fly by using brain waves. The only thing that can surpass super strength is the power of the brain. So that's why she's on my list. I just wanted to talk about Wonder Woman. I think that makes a lot of sense. But like in, in her story and stuff, she's pretty tied to World War One. Um, you know, like with um her uh, boyfriend is the pilot, and uh, yeah. you know she does runs out of the trenches and everything. So there's a little bit of to tie into the ace thing a little bit. So the most recent sort of, you know, like they've had origin stories about her plane, like from the beginning, uh-huh. the very first one was that she just invented it, you know, tinkering on. Oh, the, the Miscaria. Paradise on Paradise oh, yeah. Island or whatever it was. But most recently, like, and it was kind of a really elegant way of explaining it. It was like a 2016 story where they explained that it was Steve Trevor's plane that had crash landed, right? Uh And then the women like imbued it with magic to make it invisible and like tinkered with it and made it like awesomer. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's like, that's like the current story of how it came to be. The women hide my plane. I know. How dare they? (laughs) But her plane could go like 2,000 miles an hour and it was undetectable by radar. But this is not about the plane. It's about Wonder Woman. Uh The woman who designed and flew the plane. Okay. Okay. And had a glamorous career and had a lot of outfits that she changed in near the ocean. I don't know. In a distant galaxy in 1993, a handsome space fox saved us all from evil polygons. Yeah, he did. This is Fox McCloud, who appeared in several Nintendo games, beginning with his first appearance in Star Fox for the Super Nintendo and later in the Smash Brothers series. Why go to the next level? When you can go light years beyond, you are Foxy Cloud in Star Fox, only for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm 
familiar. I am familiar. I know of Star Fox. I was yeah. gonna. I was gonna ask you if you remember that uh, that uh, that time we went on that crazy Smash Brothers bender for like a whole week. <laughs> oh yeah, when our friends brought it over. Yes, <laughs> that was fun. Why does our generation like foxes so much? Is that fair to assume and to ascribe to our generation? Yeah, it started with the Robin Hood fox. I think it's a lot of the goodwill from Robin Hood. And then it was Sonic and Tails and yes. then Star Fox. Yes, and then I was going to say Swift from David the Gnome. Maybe for me personally, that's why I like foxes. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of fox interest for uh, late millennial Gen X type people. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of maybe... I'm not going to call it furries, but maybe. Well, like, why do they make them so handsome? I don't know. Well, I mean, we say somebody's a fox, so it's not uh, unique to right. our generation. But, but yeah, like, you're not going to draw a fox and it's ugly. Well, and you need an you need a uh, anthropomorphic ace pilot. I guess he should be a fox, I guess. He's... It stands to reason. <laughs> whatever the reasons, whatever we think about how to explain this, I, I think Nintendo must have been exploiting this for Star Fox because it is a space shooter, but uh, in it, your squadron is composed of different anthropomorphic animals. So everybody would be interested in this game. That's cute. <laughs> uh, so if we could hold off on the animals for just a second, I'm going to tell you about the premise of the game. And you can imagine how interested you'd be if you weren't animal pilots. <laughs> so uh, the premise is that you're in the distant Lilat star system. And you imagine yourself at the controls of a futuristic, heavily armed space fighter called an R-Wing. You fight many terrifying geometric shapes that mostly resemble tank and fighter ships and one gigantic face at the end. Ah, okay. <laughs> this was a big deal game because it was the first uh, Nintendo game with an FX chip, uh, which allowed them to use polygon graphics. Ooh. It was, and they, they put, they slapped that sticker all over the box art. I remember they're like, ooh, FX chip. I know what that is because I'm 12. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, but yeah. so here's the fun part of the game. Here's here's your squad. Are you ready for the roll call? All right. Okay, you are Fox McCloud, the, the, the noble maverick of your squadron. <laughs> you, ha you have the headset. That's right. Your number two, your Iceman, is Falco Lombardi, the rude, overcompetitive Falcon. Whoa, Star Fox, what are you doing? I'm glad you're doing the voices because I'm, I don't. I'm just winging. A big it. part of this was the fake talking. That's, oh yeah, I guess that would be. You'd have to do the comms in order mm -hmm. to like have a sense of character. I'll do them. I'll do them for you when we do the roll call. But it's it's interesting to hear how you think they should be voiced. Okay. Uh, next up, you have Peppy Hare, an old nice mentor who gives you wisdom in the form of things you can do with your controller. Star Fox, you're going to want to point up. <laughs> Deploy your missiles with the right button, Star Fox. That's about right. I don't know. And finally, ignominiously, is Slippy Toad, an annoying whiny frog who is either stealing your kills, complaining you stole his kills, or pleading for urgent help. That's terrible, but that's very funny. I thought it was going to be like a hot girl. No. <laughs> Sorry, there were no girl fighters in the first one. I don't know if they added ones later. I, I okay, Slippy Toad sounds funny, though. Yeah, he, he, was, he was terrible. Uh, and like I was saying, all of them did this kind of impression of talking with their dialogue when they come up on the comms it was fun to see them but it was really weird it had the cadence and character of talking but it was gibberish is there a word for this like is that walla walla what is that i don't know it should that's be what a the word sims for this do, though right yeah 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 it's the it's same like thing that. as what the sims do okay as i was really gratified that in the youtube comments i love seeing everybody did their automatic impression of what everybody was doing uh, which was which was funny because we used to always do this when we played. 
I remember two of them specifically. Uh, for Slippy, it went dib dib it dib dib it, and then for uh, Falco, it was dabba dabba jabbing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Everything they said was that. Was this just easier for the Japanese devs? Like I don't, even, I don't know who made the game. I don't know. But... I don't think they could do talking on a Super Nintendo uh, memory oh, cards. Okay. Because it was At a all? big, big deal in the uh, Super Nintendo Final Fantasy game where they had an opera scene and they made it almost sound exactly like singing, and we were all blown away. Like it sounded like this beautiful song, but it wasn't quite singing. It was really weird. Okay. So. They were pushing. They were trying they to were, talk. They were, they, were, they were breaching the barriers, breaking the sound barrier. So anyway, this is my pilot that I think represents like being part of the, the squadron that you want to see like in movies and fiction. So um, he's, a, he's a good team player. Yeah, yeah. He, a good team player. Because he's confident in his looks and he doesn't need to lash out at people and yeah. try to prove anything. He, he has he the headset, which signals to others he wants to communicate. Yeah. I, I do love when the pilots talk a lot through their headsets. Yeah. It is the equivalent of how they have to talk on the horses in the Red Dead Redemption games. Yeah. I do like that. Man, a few words. That one. Anyway. <laughs> Number six. I was flying the 7 a.m. from Tampa to Louisville, and we had a two-hour weather delay, so naturally all the passengers got drunk. Generally speaking, if there's a delay of more than 20 minutes, I might as well be driving a party bus. It's just idiocy. I don't know what's going on in this country. I know. People wear flip-flops to church. At number six, I give you the fine fictional commercial airline pilot, Carol Burnett from 30 Rock. I was going to ask if you were going to pick him. You what did you? It would have been rude for you to ask, and then you would have known one of my picks. We always have to play those these weird. What do you call it? Like guess who? Like yeah. you know any of your picks yeah. have a bow tie. Yeah, we because we're worried we're going to pick the same ones, but then we never do because Will's always like, "Who's the man from space? Who's the spaciest?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Airline pilot from commercial." Anyway, so uh, this was played by Matt Damon. He was the season four slash five love interest for Liz Lemon on Thirty Rock. And um, he's a commercial airline pilot, which we don't see often. Like, I, I feel like it's always about the ace pilot, yeah. and it's never about the just your regular doorman to the skies. Yeah, I'm a doorman to the sky. I'm a pilot. His purpose in the season is that they use his relationship with Liz to illustrate how dating someone who is too much like yourself can be too much of a good thing and that there are a lot of follies, you know, <laughs> that you're in foibles to avoid pitfalls. So in this case, it's Liz Lemon's insistence on rule following and justice. Like she's just really hot headed about these things is mirrored by her pilot boyfriend who has rules on his plane, like Sky Law, where if everybody's talking too much, he implements Sky Law, uh -huh. and, he, and he says that they have to put on their seatbelts and sit, sit and be quiet for 30 minutes. <laughs> I made the whole thing up, but, you know, people are stupid, so they don't question it. That is awesome. And I really do like the character because it's like, it's a good pilot is someone who believes in order, and it's all about, you know, your checklists and the protocols that you follow and keeping a clear head. But he's just a little too neurotic, which is, of course, that's his downfall. Mm -hmm. And then their relationship culminates in um, him and Liz having a big fight on an airplane that's stuck taxiing on the runway where she's a passenger. And then she leads like a passenger revolt because they won't go back to the to the terminal. This is the guy who had that great line when they're having that uh 
conversation and all of a sudden he breaks down crying and says, I just want grown up love. Yeah, that is, he's the one who wants grown up love. <laughs> because they because they're always meeting at hotels because he's a pilot. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I want to just show some love to some commercial aviators out there because I'm sure Wills is going to be all spaceships. Is it all spaceships? I don't remember. But I do love this character. Uh-huh. And I do love 30 Rock. You got like, I watch it on repeat, you know, you got to get through it about once a year. <laughs> Number five. Why have the engines stopped? Okay, pilot, I'm here. What's the problem this time? Moya hasn't sensed anything like this since the day you arrived. It just appeared on my scanners. You know how they say your name can determine what kind of life you have? I wanted to be Rebecca and play an oboe in a symphony. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, let's talk about the character named Pilot from from Farscape. Here we go. What's your awareness of Farscape? Well, so I know Farscape because I know it was like a big deal in the 90s. And I know that Gigi Edgeley was like a super big like bombshell or like everybody loved her. She Uh was like real hot on that show. And that's why we had Gigi Edgeley come to our show last year Uh out of Farscape nostalgia. And uh, she was very sweet, and she has a little baby girl named Skywalker, and her husband is also very... They're very sweet. Is she is she um, actually Australian? She is. Okay. Yeah. And they were, like, so sweet, and they, like, she, you know, she had, like, her husband there helping her, but I'm like, uh-huh. you just took that... Like, you took a baby on an international flight, and the baby just hung out at the convention. She was very adorable. That's anyway, awesome. The end. That, that's, that's my knowledge of Farscape. It was a personal <laughs> anecdote about Gigi Edgeley. No, uh, she was super sweet though. Like, uh, if you're like from the '90s and you're like, I had such a crush on Gigi Edgeley, you can feel good. She is not a bad a good, person. She was cool. That's I, good. That's good I to would hear. tell you if she were. <laughs> so Farscape aired from 1991 to 2003, first in Australia and Canada, and then it became one of the big shows for a young sci-fi channel. And Gen X nerds, like you said, really love this show and the thing about it is that it was a very good story, but also um, sometimes it got as hilariously trashy adult as you could get on cable TV. It was like nerd sexy, like for what you could do on uh, on cable TV. <laughs> of course. Um, and that used to be a thing we relied on before we had <laughs> lots of <laughs> streaming right. and stuff. It was a more innocent time. Yeah, we had to watch that or you had to stay up and watch trashy movies on USA. Or you had to hope that somebody would leave a pornography in the woods. In the woods, yes, yes. That was... Which really, that's a meme, but that really did happen. Okay. Um, no, I'm not going to share the whole long story. <laughs> What? But but there was uh somebody did bring one to Boy Scouts one time. There you go. And um for the Should I tell this whole story? <laughs> just don't even just it can, it's perfectly innocent. Well, somebody brought brought a magazine to uh, a week-long camping trip, like one of the big camps, and we knew that they had it in their tent and they were in there uh, like giggling about it. They were really pretty young. There were some younger members and somebody from uh, my tent thought it'd be hilarious because his voice was the only one who's changed to go up behind them, like on the outside of the tent, pretend to be the scout master. He went up behind him and says, boys, I know about that dirty magazine with ladies <laughs> in it you got in that tent. Oh, you need to get rid of that right now. I'm calling you daddy in the morning, which was pretty good. That was pretty good for like a 12-year-old kid. And so he comes back very pleased with himself, rightly so. And then about 
30 seconds later, you see those boys tearing out of their tents with armloads of magazines. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, we were just dialing up. And that was the end of the story for us. But then the next morning, uh, you see them walk like shuffling their feet up to the scoutmaster and they say, say, we're sorry about all them dirty magazines. Please don't call our daddy. And then uh, the scoutmaster says, boys, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but you need to get rid of it right now. (laughs) So it was just, it was exactly the same. It didn't even matter. And then for the rest of the week, all over this, miles around this huge campsite, in the latrine toilets, in the woods, were pieces of this magazine everywhere. It was like finding buried treasure. They did not do a good job of getting rid of it. Well, they they put it in one place, and then it was distributed for miles. Nature finds a way. (laughs) Yes, it does. How, How long has I been there? just appeared on my skin. So anyway, this was a legit space opera because it was an actual soap opera in space. It's about a crew who are on the run from corrupt peacekeepers. The main guy, John Crichton, is an Earth astronaut, Hunk, who's looking for a wormhole to get home. And several of the other characters are very realistic alien puppets from the Jim Henson workshop. But here's the deal with Pilot. Uh, He's a member of a species called Pilots who share a symbiotic relationship with the living biomechanical ship called Leviathans. Our pilot drives a ship called Moya, and this is our cruise ship. So if you want to picture him, pilot looks like a rubber fungus. He has a mushroom cap head, sort of a kind dinosaur face, and tentacles that can manipulate all the ship controls. Aww. He's he's really cute. He's cool looking. The Leviathan ship looks like a yellow space whale, sort of like a Protoss carrier ship from StarCraft, if you know what that looks like. I picked this guy because I love his motivation for being a pilot. He has a need in his soul to explore the stars and bond with a ship. And so he has to make some terrible compromises sometimes to keep flying. Probably the sketchiest thing he did was is he was denied bonding with the Leviathan by the elders. So he sought out um, outside underground help to set him up with Moya. But he had to facilitate removal of the first pilot. And he's tortured about it like the entire series. Um, but he's also a pacifist, so he's at odds a lot of times with other crew members, and sometimes he will even just um, ban them from the ship for a while and make them hang out at a planet, and he'll come pick them up later because he gets tired of them. That's a very complicated backstory it is. for a fungus. It is. And we were talking about this earlier, but I, I guess I thought about this pick because I think he best represents the pilot's bond to their vehicle. And in this case, they are practically the same organism, like you and the Toyota Corolla. All right, at number four, you knew it was going to happen. We have our Rainbow Warrior, Queen Marlena. Oh, great. This He-Man. is legit a good one, not just because we're Masters He-Man fans. Yes. No, I'm sorry, I, I've talked over you. This was... No, I was, was just, Queen Marlena from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. There we go. Yes. You're the best pilot I've ever seen. My friends, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the best pilot that a planet called Earth ever produced. Marlena, my queen. Your majesty. Your majesty. Not your majesty. Will you teach me to fly like that? Yes, Tila. Tomorrow. Yeah, so when we were at the beginning of our Masters of the Universe review show, I remember on an early episode, Will was like... I think the queen was an Earth astronaut who crashed on Eternia and fell in love with the king. And then I just remember being like, what? That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. This is (laughs) what? That just didn't make any sense. 
And it also didn't make any sense because in most of the episodes, when they cut to the throne room, especially early on in the animation run, like early on in the series, it's like there's Randor and Marlena just sitting on the thrones, just like silently waiting on Orko or Men-at-Arms or Tila or somebody come running in there and be like, Your Majesty, Uh there's a problem. And so I was like, I can't even fathom how this series is going to go from that to like what you just said. Mm -hmm. But they got there. And it, it, we always agree it's like one of the best episodes. It is. It's, Lo and behold. It's yes. the Rainbow Warrior, in case you want to look at it. Yes. And, and please do, because it's very cute. Um, it turns out, you know, in, in this episode, they show that they had Marlena's aircraft, her spacecraft, in the museum on Eternia. And I guess Duncan tinkered with it. I don't remember. Uh-huh. But they got it working again. And so she was like, I'm going to take it out for a jaunt. And in the end, her amazing flying skills enables her to shoot down Skeletor in a, <laughs> in a fighter jet that he also had that was not a toy, but just one that they made for the show. There will be another time, He-Man. And I remember Tila, like, seeing it, not knowing she's in it. She's like, who's that pilot? <laughs> who's that pilot with the daring do? But it was really cute. And this was an episode where they gave the mom something to do because I know we've talked about this before, but, like, you get really, really tired of seeing mom's only represented as like non-entities yes like a house managers they're like alexa for your house but yeah. in biological form and she's like quietly napping inside her own brain when her <laughs> child isn't talking to her like you know like it's depressing i even i understand where it comes from too because you know so many of our beloved stories are about a young person setting forth for the first time or you know f- you know spreading their wings as it were and I understand how in an adolescent pat- power fantasy that like obviously adults are boring and fuddy duddies uh-huh. and they're obstacles and they're impotent and they have terrible lives and that's why we idolize the young so much because they're not yet capitalist drones like we are. Uh-huh. Give them time. Um, <laughs> I don't think the scathing critique of capitalism was uh, necessarily innate to those stories, but it's there when you read it. Oh. But anyway, like, I just appreciated how they didn't have to make the queen an interesting character or give her a backstory, but they did. And Uh I do think that was a very sweet moment in the 80s for, you know, for kids growing up to see that, like, a mom is not just some lady. Like, there's, there's stuff going on in her life and you should... Treat her like a human? I don't know. <laughs> and as we discussed in that old episode, uh, they were, you know, clearly leaning on like the Sally Ride type thing yeah. there too. So who, another pilot. So. Inspired by real life, yes. you know. And I like, I'm, I'm fond of it. It's very, very good pick. Yeah, good that, was a, that was a good one. Yeah. Number three. Okay, this is a good pick to follow it. My next pilot says, Charter Course, there's coffee in that nebula. This is Admiral Catherine Janeway, formerly the captain of the Starship Voyager. Stand by for transport, Admiral. You know where I'm going, Harry, and it's not to your ship. Your structural integrity is failing. Did you have any Star Trek picks, or were you tempted to pick Star Trek picks? I, I was gonna, I was gonna leave it to you, but I did uh-huh. consider some. So. Uh, obviously, there are several contenders here. But when I'm thinking about Star Trek flying missions, I keep thinking about this scene from Endgame, the Voyager finale. It's several years after Voyager has returned to the Alpha Quadrant. 
uh, but it took them too long to get back. If you don't remember the story, they're lost in the Delta Quadrant, the whole series. So things are kind of messed up when they get back. Too many uh, crew members have died. Their relationships are messed up. And uh, the crew never got around to beating the Borg while they were out there. So Janeway <laughs> decides to go back in time and set things straight. So do any uh, alerts, fire, red alerts fire off in your brain when you're hearing what her plan is? I mean... Like imagine you are... Uh, a Star Trek, a Starfleet bureaucrat, and you're like, Janeway's doing what now? <laughs> well, right. But then also, I guess the main thing stopping it would be like, what is the mechanism by which to accomplish that? Uh, man, you're, just, you're just setting this up. This was the coolest part of the episode. It was like a Mission Impossible mission. She is definitely not supposed to do this. This is in direct violation of the Temporal Prime Directive. Lower your shields, Admiral. Prepare for transport. I'm taking you into custody. So she has to work all her contacts to set this up, but she gets a ship. She gets some experimental wormhole tech from a Klingon ambassador. That's going to open up a time portal. You'll pay for your deceit, And she gets the hologram doctor to give her some space drugs so she's not killed by the tachyon radiation from the time distortions. So eventually there's this great scene of her, aged, sitting in a small shuttle in the middle of space, shooting that experimental space drug into her neck so she can open an illegal wormhole. And I love this because I love that utter stubbornness. Like, not even time itself is going to stop her. And that's the kind of daring do we'd like to see from our pilots. That's beautiful. Would you fix things? Like, if this is the case, and you know there's good reasons for the policies to not go back in time, but some personal relationships you have and people you care about are all messed up and you are pretty sure you could go back and fix this. Oh, you you know I would. I think so too. And I was surprised to get there in my mind because as a policy, no, we should not change history. But on a human level, I love seeing someone defy the realities we're told to accept, whether they're biological or um, even relativistic limitations she will not accept it she is getting back in time and she is gonna fix this situation so i may sound like a star trek villain but nothing is immutable everything is programmable we can fix stuff uh and you do what you have to to save your space family and the alpha quadrant if there's time that's really gonna fit nicely going into my next one (laughs) actually that's that's good number two I want you to remember what you just said okay. about, you know, at any cost, you, you can and will change things that aren't <laughs> fair or right because you're an Enneagram type one. Um, remember, remember that. Okay. All right. And number two. In 1986, there was a beloved film about a hotshot young fighter pilot who has a few things to learn. Okay. To the tune of a rockin' soundtrack. I'm not talking about Top Gun. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Iron Eagle is oh, like Top Gun, yeah, 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 yeah. but with zero volleyball and exactly one Lou Gossett Jr. Oh. So at number two, we have Charles Colonel Chappie Sinclair, played by Lou Gossett Jr. in the 1986 film Iron Eagle. We could have picked him for this or Enemy Mine. He was a pilot in both of them. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Okay, now, Doug, you move that control tower about uh, 10 degrees to the north. This one? No, 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 that's a refinery. That's the oil refinery. This, this one. No, that's the detention center where they're holding. This one? Oh, that's what's left of my lunch. Get that out of there. Look, <laughs> you must be in love. The control tower is with the spear. 10 degrees to the north. Um, we need to spend a little 
whole time talking about Iron Eagle, though. This is like some of this is like the miraculous things that I've learned for this episode. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, this is a film that came out the same year as Top Gun and has long been derided as a cheap, crappy knockoff of Top Gun, despite the fact that it actually came out four months earlier. And if you will indulge me. I believe is a superior film to Top Gun. I don't have trouble believing that. <laughs> All right, so the plot of Iron Eagle. Doug Masters is a teenage pilot who gets a crash course from Lou Gossett Jr. in order to fly an unauthorized mission to rescue his pilot father from a bad country where he's marked for execution uh-huh. for violating international airspace. Well, oh, this is already a gr- much better uh, plot. Like, I'm already really involved in this exactly it is a better plot than top gun here's a google search that i did trying to figure out i was like okay you know what it's kind of like okay so i will say first of all this is definitely a pg rated film because it's definitely made for a younger audience but that just means that we don't have to watch tom cruise and kelly mcginnis you know like hump in silhouette to the strains of take my breath away uh-huh. so After they did I don't think cocaine was... which we forget about and they did cocaine which we forget <laughs> about in top gun and again are these losses that i that i lament no no it's not so in iron eagle it's very much like more of a kid movie they've uh-huh. got like bullies but they're the kind of bullies that are only in 80s movies who don't actually do anything dangerous they're uh-huh. just, well actually that's not true but they're just you know they're just jerks yeah and he's got this really nice squad of kid teen friends who are all Air Force brats. So as improbable as oh, the... Oh, that makes sense, too. That's exactly, good, better world building. I was going to say, as improbable as the plot sounds, the way that they get around it is that they're all Air Force brats on a, an Air Force base. And so they're friends with all the colonels and all the dudes. They all uh-huh. know each other. And so when the dad gets taken prisoner by a bad unnamed nation definitely not saudi arabia mm-hmm. definitely not we don't know who it was supposed to be a bad a bad man um he was going to be made an example out of because as he explains over the airspace like we're here flying our routine exercise missions to exercise our right to international airspace and they were like we don't recognize that shoot him down because they're evil okay and this movie sounds so completely improbable with the plot, but I'm telling you, the screenplay, they get there. That you No, I'm on board. Yeah. Maybe it's, you're selling it better, but I but I'm selling I, I it because it's a better movie than Top Gun, and I have never seen it before last night. How's Lou, how's Lou in it? He's great. Uh-huh. He's great, because if this podcast has taught us anything, it's that we're both a big fan individually and collectively <laughs> of Lou Gossett yeah. Jr. <laughs> and he gets top billing. And while this is like a mentor role and it, you know, it, it hits all of those plot points that you think it might, he's not sidelined for like the young kid. Like he, mm-hmm. it, it is definitely more of like a buddy film in that regard. You know, he's great. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. And remember, I think last night I was complaining like, dude, why is this movie an hour and 56 minutes long? Cause I'm like, that sounds bloated. They needed to hit all of that because they show them like developing their relationship quickly, executing the plan, like coming up with the plan with his cool like group of friends, one of whom was Larry Scott, who played Lamar in Revenge of the Nerds, who I also love. Not important. And they have to have the exfiltration, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. It's a cute movie, and I really enjoyed it. And I would say it has a better soundtrack than Top Gun. Because Top Gun gave you Highway to the Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins, and in Iron Eagle, 
has a bunch of different songs that they got the rights for, including One Vision by Queen when he's oh. in the cockpit. They do that one a couple of times. And then at one point they play Give Me Some Lovin', you know, for uh-huh. you know, because Lou Gossett Jr., like his character also needs music in the cockpit. That's how you know, like music helps him think too. That's how you know they're simpatico. They they get to, they have to like get they, the get the vibe. For, they have yeah. to get the vibe. And so like the deal with Star Lord and his little Walkman, yeah. they stole it from Iron Eagle. Like blatantly, I'm telling you, like completely blatantly from this uh-huh. from this film. And finally, I will say the plot that I just described to you, there would have been an international incident. And in the end, after they go and rescue his father on a completely unauthorized mission, both parties agree to sweep it under the rug because it would be an embarrassment for that nation and for the United States. (laughs) So I'm sure that happens all the time. I'm sure it does happen all the time, right? Just completely neat. Okay, so I will make my final argument, which is that the plot of this film makes a lot more sense and builds a much more dense and wonderful world. And you really connect with the characters because you can root for all his friends and they're helping him and Lou Gossett Jr.'s there and he's being Lou Gossett Jr. and we just love it. Now, here's a Google search that I did trying to figure out why Top Gun was such a popular film. (laughs) My search was... If Top Gun was a fighter pilot school, then why were there bad guys? Like, who were the bad guys? Uh And if I asked you, who were the bad guys in Top Gun? You would be like, I don't really know. And no one does because it's left intentionally vague. And I'm going to drop some hot truths about the the enemy in Top Gun. You know that when they're out there and they're doing their little training exercises and the real plot and the real tension is about like Maverick and whether he has a lot to learn and whether Iceman is going to be his wingman and I won't be, you know, uh-huh. you know, that's the plot of it. And how you let Goose down because of whatever. It doesn't matter. That's the plot, right? But you're like, who's the enemy? It shows the enemy pilots. They have little insignia on their helmet. And it's meant to maybe evoke some communist country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I remember. But it's not even really that. So here, here, here you go. Here's some Top Gun facts for all of us. Fresh out the oven. 2K20. Okay. So in the original draft of the screenplay, it was supposed to be like China. They were supposed to be like oh. actual dudes like from China. And then they start doing the the rewrites and the punch ups for the script. And they're like, no, 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 lose it. And when they got their main punch up, they're just like, we're going to leave the enemy fighter pilots intentionally vague because, of course, the real drama is supposed to be like Maverick. And what is he going to do? So not only is it probably like a made up country, but they like they were saying like it could be anybody from, you know, maybe Iran or North Korea or China or like some combo of just like all of them. Now, when you watch them fight in Top Gun, the bad guy planes are Northrop F5s that were at the time owned by the Navy in order to simulate bad guys. Um, And so... Like, they don't have any kind of designators on there. They didn't have, like, a NATO number or anything like that. Um, They're not Soviet-designed aircrafts. These are American Northrop FIs. So, 
It could even be the case that in Top Gun, there is literally not a bad guy at all, but it's just like <laughs> oh, dudes. Oh, they're doing exercises. Yeah, just dudes doing Navy training mm-hmm. exercises. That's just their targets. Yeah, yeah. Just, ma- just made to look like they're bad guys, and but it's not even really, and the script does not answer the question. You're not even supposed to know. It's intentionally vague. I think that actually makes a lot more sense. I, I, in, I know. In my head, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that's true because that seems more realistic. It does seem more realistic, but does that make me invested in Top Gun as a film? I don't know. I All I know is that I watched it a lot when I was a kid because I had a babysitter in the summer of 87 who was obsessed with the song sure. Take My Breath sure. Away and used to make us call the radio station to request it. Okay, I've seen Top Gun. That's a song you put on on the jukebox at Pizza Hut. Definitely, and, and hope your boyfriend gets the message. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so, and, he's, and meanwhile, he's like, I'm going to spit in the cheese thing, <laughs> and then I'm going to loosen it so it falls all over their pizza. That little stinker. So anyway, I'm just saying, I can't believe this whole time I've slept on Iron Eagle starring Lou Gossett Jr. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm just saying, and I apologize, but I had to say it all. Before we name our top pilot, our ace pilot, if you will, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Launchpad from DuckTales. Oh, that's really good. Uh, yeah, I keep thinking we should do a duck show. Um, <laughs> Just all ducks? Because there's ducks everywhere. So... Yes. All right, well, we'll save him for the duck okay, show. Okay, but I like I like that. And then my sarcastic pick is everyone from Star Wars. They're all ace pilots. Uh-huh. Everyone. Uh-huh. Everyone in Star Wars is an ace pilot. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, sorry. Um, Starbuck and Leah Dama. We have talked about Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. It's cheesy, but we still love it. I mean, there's so much. Countless anime, but you said mechs don't count, so those are mine. Okay. Uh, I also had Luke Skywalker because he made that shot, you know. Well, yeah. I mean... Um, you made a good argument for why Luke okay. deserves praise. Uh, Snoopy. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I was going to say Hal Jordan. I, w- I was either going to do him or Wonder Woman, so I'm, I'm glad we mentioned him. And then a, and then a handful of others real quick is uh, the ace pilot from the last season of Black Adder, um, who's real obnoxious. Sid from Final Fantasy, who has that uh, uh, big airship. And then uh, Lee Scoresby, the balloon pilot from his Dark Materials. Oh, that's that cute. That little rabbit. So, who's your number one pilot of all time? Number one! All right, my ace pilot is the Rocketeer from Pacific Comics and the star-studded 1991 film. Wow, we've not talked about the Rocketeer. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Stand clear. What was that? Okay. Uh, for me, this is the coolest pilot with the best character design, and it's a little different from all the others, obviously. Uh, I want to start with the costume first because that gets you excited about him okay. and about everything he does. So the Rocketeer reminds me of, I don't know if it's alienating to other people, but some of those awesome costumes you could make in our favorite MMO we used to play all the time, City of Heroes. I was thinking about City of Heroes. I always think about City of Heroes. That game should have survived. I love that game. It was really good. We'll have to talk about that more. Yeah, I was just thinking about how fun it was when you hit level 15 and you got your travel power and you had to pick it if it was going to be flight or super speed or jumping. I like jumping. jumping. It was awkward, but I loved it. Jumping is stupid. It was the stupidest one. and and I think it's hilarious that that's the one you like. Because I'm always like flying. It looks different. You make little little bug superheroes and stuff. 
stuff. It yeah, was great. it was, it was fun. better for character stuff. It was fun. Uh, Good there's game. a whole MMOs that uh, die. I mean, it's like other planets were aware of that died. I heard that there was a um, secret um, server that some of the um, City of Heroes people kept open. They weren't supposed to, and people have been secretly playing it. I hope that's true. We'll talk about um, weird MMOs another time, but that was really interesting, I thought. So anyway, his look is he's got like a gold Iron Man helmet with a mouth vent and dark glass eyes and a giant fin on top a brown leather dust jacket, and a rocket backpack that he could fire up with a handheld ignition switch. And in the movie, he plugged an oil leak with some gum. <laughs> uh, historically, I was actually pretty surprised this was not first a Golden Age comic. Um, he first appeared in a 1982 comic series, and it's an homage to serial heroes from the 1930s through the 50s. Interesting. That is a, a strange year for it to emerge. It I was. I would not have guessed They that. did such a good job, I assumed it was an old serial hero. A creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. His fictional history is that uh, he is an actual pilot. Um, he's Cliff Seckard, a stunt pilot who discovers a mysterious jetpack that allows him to fly. His adventures are set in Los Angeles, New York in 1938, and the creator, Dave Stevens, uh, gave the stories a retro nostalgic feel influenced by The King of the Rocket Men and Commando Cody movie serials and pinup diva Betty Page, who inspired his girlfriend's character, also named Betty. Um, <laughs> we might know the Rocketeer best from the 1991 Walt Disney Pictures film. It had a ridiculous cast. You have Timothy Dalton as a secret Nazi, Paul Sorvino, fresh off his guest role in Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, here, here he's a gangster because of course he is. Keep your eyes open for this dame. He's you, the best at that. Why wouldn't you be? Um, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Rocket, okay. Rocketeer is Betty Page's girlfriend. Oh, well, never mind, never mind. And, um, and uh, Alan Arkin, I don't remember. Sorry, Alan Arkin. It was too hard <laughs> to look up when I was trying to find it. It's like, you know what? Too bad. All your 91 big shots are in this one. Yeah. I remember they really acted like the Rocketeer was going to be a blockbuster, but it quite yes. wasn't. Like, yes. It didn't live up to whatever hype that Disney the, just assumed that they had. That, the marketing was ridiculous for that. And, I, and I'm so glad you brought this up because I'm going to tell you about my brush with fame here. Okay? okay. It was a big deal. It was such a big deal. I loved the movie. I saw it in the theaters when it came out. I was hyped about it. My You were an easy mark. My parents and everything got me hyped about it. It looked cool. You know, like, uh, you know, we went to see The Shadow and all the pulp stuff that was popular at that time. But anyway, it was such a big deal that in Tallahassee, they sent the uh, Tallahassee uh, newspaper's uh, reporter out to interview people coming out of the movie theater. And they, <laughs> and uh, I was, let's see, uh, oh, so I guess I was eight at the uh -huh. time uh and so i just came out of there i've jacked up i've got the promotional rocketeer cup and everything like <laughs> oh my god a man can fly and so anyway they asked i remember being interviewed and i remember they asked me like hard questions to a answer for an eight-year-old and i got the distinct feeling from my parents that i did not give great answers because she said things like um why why did you like the movie which was a hard question to ask an eight-year-old. She should have said, like, what do you like? Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, you were also, that is a, a condition of your OCD. That, yes. That you're very literal-minded, and it's hard to answer. When, like, she just wanted you to I was trying to, to compose an mouth. essay when she was, when, you know, I couldn't just be like, I like the flying man, yeah, which is what just, I should have said. She but just I couldn't. wanted you to say. I was I trying like to actually answer, like, a uh, uh, grown person and I couldn't. Yeah, but, <laughs> you're like, well, it's inspired by the pulpy serials yeah, exactly, of the 1930s. Exactly. 
but uh, I remember I eventually did say something. I, I I remember I definitely told her I liked when they fought each other on top of the blimp, which is a respectable answer for an eight-year-old, yeah. I think. And to this day, I, I think that's probably true. <laughs> uh, what I should have said was I love the helmet and the studio all actually intended to change that trademark helmet design, which is the whole character. Yeah. The Disney CEO, Michael Eisner, wanted a straight NASA-type helmet. Uh, Michael Eisner tanked Disney. That is he just stupid. Did. That's so all stupid. it was. They had plans for a sequel, but they were abandoned after it was a box office disappointment. It grossed uh, $46 million on a $35 million budget. Um, they were going to have a TV series based on the movie. Actually, oh, it did premiere on Disney Junior in 2019, which I never saw. Oh, but, okay. Uh, that sounded pretty cool. Anyway, I love the Rocketeer. I still think his design is fantastic. I love that helmet, and I love that cup. We had that in our house in our cabinet forever. Do you want to go on eBay and see if you can find a Rocketeer cup? I think we need more cups. Is I it a glass a or have. is it plastic? It's plastic. Uh... So it's going to be faded. Yeah, it'll, it, that's that's just gross. Somebody, it should have been glass. Somebody probably microwaved spaghetti sauce in it, too. <laughs> You're never getting that cup back. That's true. Well, that was, that was uh, quite a thrilling adventure we yeah. just went on. A uh, thrilling adventure in the skies. Yeah, what an amazing flight through this. <laughs> you know what? I didn't know what was going to happen this week. I was like, pilots are not super into them. But I learned I am very passionate about the 1986 film Iron Eagle. And for me, that is that is something. It made me love the Rocketeer again. Uh, <laughs> let's, pre- let's pretend we're children. If you can be... Oh, I'm going to start doing this. If you could be <laughs> any of these pilots from your list and you can gender swap if you need to, who, who are you going to be? Well, no, you know I want Queen Marlena's life. A crash land on another planet and marry the king. That's pretty good. Give birth to the most powerful twins in the universe. That just sounds like a good life. That sounds pretty good, but then you have a lot of throne time. Yeah, and a lot of wine drinking, which, you know, at this point in my life, I can I can manage that. Okay. I'm not, I'm not thrilled with the grind, you know? I'm going to go Janeway post-Voyager adventure. <laughs> Because I don't want the trouble. Or uh, or the Rocketeer, I think. Or the Rocketeer. Yeah. That was good enough. I would accept either one of those. <laughs> I would accept the glory of either. If you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, tell us about it at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Rebecca, where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or visit curdlehowler.com to catch up on our original Halloween audio comedy series just in time for this year's upcoming Halloween special. Or join me on my weekly stream about music production at twitch.tv slash K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know Your own deeds feel humble